there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to share this week's video with you. I just like can't even describe how excited I am. So um, I in this week's video, I um, did an interview with a physical therapist. She's actually my personal physical therapist after I had an injury last year, and she's amazing. She is so full of pearls of practice, so full of wisdom, just so smart, and I got to ask her all the questions. So the theme of our interview is, what would you like a primary care provider to know? And I took some questions from the audience. If you're on the email list, you will have the opportunity to submit your own questions for upcoming interviews if you're not already on the list. But we talked about a whole bunch of things, red flags not to miss, when to refer to physical therapy, who would benefit from physical therapy that we might not think about, what to expect, how to counsel patients. Oh my gosh, just so so many good things. You know, addressing the topic of access to physical therapy related to funds and, and all of that stuff. So I really hope you enjoy it. It is so much fun to record. So um, please let us know what questions you have. I would love to have Stephanie back on. Again, she's just the best, but I hope you enjoy this interview. If you have not grabbed the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, before you check out the rest of this video, head over to realworldnp.com slash guide. You'll get these videos sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and bonuses that I really just don't share anywhere else, including the opportunity to submit questions to upcoming specialists on the channel. So without further ado, here is our interview. So thank you for being here. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you so much for having me. Um, hi everyone, my name is Stephanie Burns. I'm a doctor of physical therapy and I've been practicing about 10 years. Awesome. And I mainly work in the orthopedic outpatient setting. Awesome, awesome. I love working with you so much and you know so much information. So I, I have so many questions. So we'll jump in, I think to start. What, I guess to the framing question, like what do you see, like how would you describe physical therapy? Because I think the context of the situation is that I feel very well versed in physical therapy, especially since working with you personally, learning more <laughs> and more about what physical therapy is and what it does and all of that. But I think that sometimes the nurse practitioners who are new are not as familiar with physical therapy and what you do. And um, there are a lot of things to clarify, maybe to start from there so that they feel more comfortable sending referrals to you and like knowing when to refer to you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Honestly, the profession of physical therapy has changed over the years. So it started as a bachelor's, it's morphed into a master's, and now there's no schools out there that even have a master's program, you have to have a doctoral degree. And, you know, really what the idea is, is that we're all movement scientists. And we want to, so once upon a time, you know, PT kind of, we really did have a bad reputation. We had a reputation of, of being um, people who were helping patients after surgery. That was our main job. And because of that, we pushed a lot of people, you know, we pushed them and it was painful. 
Um, and I think a lot of that was just the best evidence-based practice back then was if you didn't have the range of motion to push the range of motion to make the range of motion. Mm -hmm. And there are some cases where you do have to do that, but they are so minimal. There are very, very few cases where you really have to push through that pain. And the evidence behind that has just changed drastically and the profession has changed drastically. We don't work under a physician or a nurse practitioner. We work autonomously and we really have learned how to work best with the patient as an individual. And that doesn't, and that means basically that, you know, one size doesn't fit all. So we can't just push everyone and get the same range of motion for, every, for everyone and get the same strength for everyone. It's just really important to really hone in on what that individual's goal is and what the practitioner wants us to, you know, what as a team, like what we're all trying to achieve from it um, and do it in a way that's, that's actually pretty comfortable for the patient. It's not painful. <laughs> and it's just about optimizing movement. Yeah. And that's a really great question because I think that that's comes up for me a bit um, where is like, is physical therapy supposed to hurt? Because I think that like I've had some patients come back with various experiences being like it was too painful. And then some people saying like their physical therapist said to them, I never want you to leave in more pain than when you started. Like what is the general consensus on that from your perspective or does it really patient to patient vary? Well, it's difficult because pain is difficult to define. Mm -hmm. So pain comes from each individual's experience with pain. So if you ever notice like pediatrics, a child's pain is going to seem like the end of the world. And it's because they've never experienced anything before. So everything mm -hmm. is just really dramatized. Whereas if you work with some of the elderly population, they could have a fracture and be like, eh, I'm fine, no big deal. Now, of course, that's, that's kind of categorizing. Not everyone is like that. But the more experience we have with pain, the less we are afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And so much of physical therapy, at least in the outpatient world, is learning how to get over the fear of movement. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's the psychological pain involved. Sometimes there's a trauma involved. Sometimes there's, you know, something... Um, like abuse, but sometimes it could just be a, a car accident too. And all of these things create a psychological trauma that really can affect our um, ability to, to move and to, and to feel okay. So if we don't feel okay, if we don't feel safe, then our pain is going to be worse. So mm -hmm. it's really the physical therapist's job to make you feel like you're in a safe environment and make you really be able to feel like you can communicate. If you can't communicate to your PT that you don't feel comfortable, that this is too much, it shouldn't be the PT saying back to you, well, this is what we have to do, mm -hmm. right? They should really be able to hear that and be able to say, okay, like I understand that I'm not physically asking you to do too much. But that doesn't matter because it feels like it's too much for you, for you as the patient. And because of that, we have to back down and we have to say, okay, let's, let's break it down. Let's just do this in steps. Like, it's not a big deal if it's too much for you. But the PC has to work with you with that. That's yeah. the whole idea of having like individualized treatment for each person out there. I'm just I'm laughing, Stephanie, thinking about us working together. And I did this like really <laughs> tiny baby move. I had a back injury last year and I did this tiny little baby move. <laughs> and I was like, so this is supposed to hurt this much. And you were like, 
things and we're like we're just not going to do that exercise because you're like too scared basically you know and I don't and I I so appreciate that about you and I think that sometimes patients will have a frustrating experience where they'll come back and feel like they didn't have that relationship with their physical therapist so that can be that can be really hard um I think I think that kind of brings up one thing that you and I have talked about a lot um is about um uh using physical therapy exercise handouts and like what is the difference <laughs> between physical therapy diagnosis and management versus medicine diagnosis and management if you want to speak to that yeah um, so basically i mean from, from so i can share from my perspective nurse practitioners will say things like oh you have like a back pain and you have back pain and it's going down your legs and then so we're like okay here's a sheet of exercises and you can go do that so sure. yeah um <laughs> so, <laughs> so so back pain's a good one. Another good one is like um shoulder, like a rotator cuff injury. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think the biggest issue I've seen with it is that there are phases of physical therapy. Um there are so there's that, that fear phase, right? You have to kind of like relax the patient. And, and one thing I just want to touch on is that can be, you know, some of the physical therapy environments that are out there, like people that are treating, you know, more than one patient at a time, like an open gym environment, or just kind of like, you don't really feel like you're getting that attention that you need, you know, make sure that it's a good fit for you. I just want to, just want to say that because, you know, really one-to-one physical therapy, one-to-one treatment with any practitioner is really, for me, I think that's, that's the most helpful aspect. Yeah. Um, but sorry, back to your other question. Um, with the handouts, like there are phases of, of healing. And so the first thing is, you know, kind of calming that patient down, reducing some of that pain, get them to really not like tense, protect and avoid, because that's, that's what they want to do. Mm. Um, but in some of the language that we use encourage, oh, make sure you don't sleep on your stomach or you don't lift anything over 10 pounds or you really don't want to lift your child from the ground. Um, that type of language can really encourage fear in our movements. Yeah. Yeah. And instead, it's, it's a little bit just as much as sometimes we have to sit and breathe with things that are emotionally uncomfortable. We have to kind of sit and breathe and relax and try to move as normal as possible, even when physical things are uncomfortable. Mm, totally. So instead of that, like tense, protect and avoid, you want, kind of want to think of it more of like relax, breathe and move as normal as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of the, one of the things that you and I talked about how like with nurse practitioners, the diag, the, the challenge, the more, more of the challenge for us, it lies in the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then once we get to the diagnosis, our treatments are very algorithmic. So step one, right. two, three, and four, or is it like, it sounds like with physical therapy, it's actually quite the opposite. It's more like psychotherapy in the sense <laughs> in the there sense, is a big emotional component I can attest to it <laughs> there, there is but there's also like a, a problem solving component to it um so kind of like we we're talking about those phases so like that first phase is that relaxation you know the next phase for one individual might be to strengthen and then the third phase may be to stretch and the problem with some of those handouts is they cover all the phases immediately. Mm. 
and and that's where people get a little confused or maybe not the best most efficient result from it because they they some work and some don't and because of that they get frustrated Mm, definitely yeah and I found at least I know in our work and it sounds like it's been like that for other patients too is kind of like if I'm having this pain my body is very different than somebody else's. And so my greatest laborum is not doing anything on the left (laughs) side, you know, compared to like the other muscles. Right. And so it sounds like it's also very much like the game is kind of in figuring out the right treatment for that person. Does that sound right? Yeah. Like from a diagnosis standpoint, um, the words of like rotator cuff tear or shoulder impingement or, tendinitis, tendinosis, tendinopathy, (laughs) they all kind of mean the same thing. Like, okay, so before you all hate me for that, (laughs) what what that means is that, yes, of course, from a medical standpoint, something is different happening onto the tissue, right? We understand Mm -hmm. that. We understand the structure that involves is different. But from a treatment standpoint, it may not change it at all so mm-hmm. so one of the biggest take-homes that i learned in physical therapy school is we treat the person and we treat the impairment mm-hmm. but we don't treat the diagnosis mm-hmm. so again like diagnosing something sure you know we know that like if they kind of move like this they're going to have a rotator cuff issue or if they have issues with their back that are very uh directional preference based okay maybe it's more of a disc herniation but for a treatment, there is no diagnosis equals ABC treatment. And I think a lot of patients want that. Of course, who wouldn't want that, right? A little mm-hmm. filing cabinet would go in, here you go, perfect, yeah. you're here. Yeah. You know? totally. <laughs> that's, that's, that would be great. Um, and that's where it comes into similar more of like psychotherapy than it does with with medicine because there is no like pill that fixes it, right? It's about, okay. about listening to the patient, about hearing the patient, about understanding their fears of movement, and then really trying to, you know, get to the bottom of it because you can, I mean, there are so many more minutes in the day than just the 30 minutes or 60 minutes you have with the PT. So mm-hmm. it's not even so much about doing your exercises. I know I'm going to get a lot of things for that too, but <laughs> We want you to do your exercises. However, even more importantly than that, we want you to change how you move, mm. right? So if let's, let's go back to that emotional metaphor. If I was struggling with something emotionally and I take five minutes out or 30 minutes out of my day to meditate, right? It's better than nothing. But what if I just try to like have a mindful attitude throughout my entire day, mm. right? That's going to make a bigger change than just that 30 minutes when I have all these other minutes in the day not being mindful. Mm. So that's, that's kind of the same thing with exercise. Yes, that 30 minutes makes us stronger. It's absolutely better than nothing, of course, but throughout the day and really being mindful of like every time you lift your arm to get dressed or to reach, you know, mm. are you hiking that shoulder? Every time you move your back, are you doing something kind of and what you're working on and what they're working on are two different things because they come from two different places and two different compensatory patterns that have been diagnosed. Right, right. So I have questions here from our audience. Is there something that often you get like referred to you that's quote unquote referred too late 
like something that would be, you would prefer that they get referred sooner. They could advise patients of um, when they're making their decision, whether or not to go to PT. Like, is there any, are there any situations where you see you'd wish they went sooner or that you see that are too late? Yeah. Um, anything that's chronic, I would say, mm -hmm. is the is answer too late? to that. No. Well, uh, sorry. It, uh, what I mean by that is a lot of times patients can go to um, a practitioner and they can say, yeah, I've had this knee pain, but I've had it for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, that's not the person that gets sent to PT. And they should be. They should be. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're the person that's going to be like, oh, let's do a knee replacement. It's been 10 years. But no one's ever asked, did you ever have PT? Because sometimes they hadn't. So when people have surgery before PT, it could be a personal preference where someone just didn't, didn't want to go through that. They just wanted to get the surgery first. Um, but there's so much benefit of at least trying it. Uh, I recently just had a patient who had a, a C, C6, C7 neck herniation. And they, he, was in, he couldn't even lay on the table. This guy was in a very, very acute, severe situation. And the, the referring provider was very much like, you can try PT, but good luck. You're going to need surgery, right? So he really wanted to do a cervical um, fusion for it. And as we know, you kind of need all of that mobility. When you take a piece of the spine, it doesn't just affect that piece, it affects above and below and kind of all the way down the chain. Mm -hmm. So we want to avoid that as much as we can because there really are some, some downsides to it, especially if you're on the younger side. Um, and this guy came in and definitely was not my easiest patient that we, we figured it out and we problem solved and he's absolutely fine. He has no symptoms. <laughs> so cool. That's so and cool. It wasn't even, didn't even take that long. It was probably like three months, Wow. you know? That's so awesome. it's, awesome. it's just always worth the shot. I, in my opinion, obviously, I mean, I'm a PT, I'm going to advocate for it, but yeah. <laughs> it's always well, worth a shot. I mean, what do you have to lose? Right. Well, I guess I think that's like, that's one of my kind of like pet peeves is like, this misunderstanding, interdisciplinary misunderstanding, because all algorithmically, like I said, like if we have a diagnosis, I've talked about orthopedic hacks in primary care, which is basically like NSAIDs, physical therapy, injections, and surgery. That's the pathway for most orthopedic injuries. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, very, I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> very oversimplified, but like, yeah, I think that because our diag, like physical therapy is not in our diagnostic, in our, in our toolkit. It's somebody else mm -hmm. who's doing it. And so it's like, oh, mm -hmm. well, what I can do is refer you for an injection or giving a medicine. Right. And I think that because people in the medical, on the, on the medical side, like don't fully understand what physical therapy can do, then it's overpassed. Right. And like, yeah. I think one of the, like, I just have so many things that I just like want to share, like the things that I've learned from you. I feel like I don't know. It's like, I, I just want to like download my brain onto people who are watching. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, because I guess like from that example, like what, so I guess if you can like kind of walk us through, if there's a kind of like, if you can give like a, a, a zoomed out perspective of what, what you would do for a person like that, like what are, it's like, do you know what I mean? How do you boil down what you did for that person? So that like <laughs> demonstrate how physical therapy helps, right? Like, was it strengthening? Yeah. Was it mobility? Was it like, I can, t I can talk about my situation and what I've learned, but I, I don't want to, I want you to explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's a great question. Great question. And this is just a case, right? So it's just one yeah, person. Exactly. Um, 
so he responded, to, I don't know if you're familiar with like McKenzie based physical therapy. So um, Mackenzie is a man who was in Australia who came up, it was kind of a funny story. So there was a table, a physical therapy table that was like at an angle versus flat. And he told the patient, oh, you know, go lay down, I'll be with you in a minute. And they, they, they were there for back pain, low back pain, and they laid down on their stomach. <laughs> and they weren't supposed to, they were supposed to lay on their back. Um, but what happened was this patient was better when they got up. Mm. And it gave him, I think it was Robin McKenzie, uh, but it gave him an entire new perception of like, wait a minute. So if the disc is protruded posteriorly, what if we move posteriorly to make it glide anteriorly? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we call a directional preference. So in this particular mm -hmm. case, it, you know, with that, that particular man on the table, um, you know, he responded well to like extension because we were gliding the disc more anteriorly by moving posteriorly. Mm -hmm. um, and you can also, you get some people, it's a little bit mm, less common to have someone with an anteriorly translated disc, but sometimes like gymnasts or skaters or dancers, people who go into extension a lot mm -hmm. will have that. And then they're going to respond to flexion or another group that tends to respond to flexion would be more your uh, people with like spinal stenosis because they need the canal to be open. And so we're going to get more of that opening mm -hmm. with flexion. Mm -hmm. One of the things that can be deceiving, which is kind of ties back to that handout question you had is that when you see back pain, a lot of times on that handout is flexion. Go mm -hmm. into a ball, bring your knees to your chest, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. why does that help? It does help. Um, but only temporarily and actually can, not all the time, but can do more damage. Right. So if you're going anteriorly, right, you're going to open up that vertebral space mm -hmm. and you're going to allow that disc and that nerve to breathe. Mm -hmm. However, it's also going to, because it has more space now, it's going to slide out in that direction. Mm -hmm. So when you close it back down, now the disc is living more so out here and pinching on that nerve even more, right? right? So if we close it down, yeah. ow, that hurts, right? It's uncomfortable, yeah. it's painful. So immediately we think, oh, don't do it. Right. Kind of, right? Maybe don't do it with so much load or so much gravity. What if we did it in like a gravity minimized position like that guy on the table? Mm -hmm. um, and then so ending up, you know, kind of bringing your, yourself backwards. And then so now your vertebral space is going this way and you're kind of pushing mm -hmm. that disc back into place mm -hmm. and now it's more centered. And what you have to do now is you have to stabilize it to stay there. Mm -hmm. So the ligaments around here, they've been kind of stretched out because things aren't in the position. The muscles are probably a little atrophy. That's probably how you got there in the first place. And then you have to, you have to get it to stay there. But, the, but if you try to stabilize it there the whole time um, without putting the disc back into place, that's like not, not really going to be effective. Totally. So it's like a combination of assessing what the issue is, whether it's spine or shoulder, and um and like identifying what is too loose and what is not strong enough and what is like yeah. tight. Um, yeah. And I think like one pearl, I just like I feel like I have to gush it out. It's one of the things you talked about with me. It was like um people talk about I, I think I see these things on like health pop health things everywhere too, of like stretch this muscle every day, right? And it's like <laughs> you're, you're, this muscle is always tight in people. But do you want to talk yeah. about like what muscle tightness is? I know we have some other like referral related questions, but what, do you, um, what would you say to somebody who's like, oh, my back is always so tight, I just need to stretch it? 
Yeah. Well, let me just wrap up that previous question. Oh, sure, sure. So the, the, because the guy was a neck patient, I didn't answer yeah. any questions about that, but there, there are also directional preferences for the neck. Um, and the biggest, big one is, is kind of posture. Cause when we tend to sit, we kind of do this, right? So our neck gets really forward and then that's how we screw. <laughs> You're laughing because I've told you about this. <laughs> I know. <I'm> <laughs> You're like, I'm going to sit up close later. <laughs> Um, but if you kind of tuck that chin in, you pull it back, you know, it's not about squishing, right? Because you can hear that in my voice. It kind of is also awkward. <laughs> you can feel it's all crushed. <laughs> but if you elongate, like you have a, uh, like a string in the back of your head and you're kind of being pulled up and back, that opens up some space, also pushes that disc back in. So we did a lot of different variations of that for him. We kind of tucked the chin. Because the first one didn't work. We did a little bit of like a lateral component because he had a lateral component with the disc. We kind of tucked the chin and did the chin tuck because that created a little bit of different force that was very helpful for him. Um, and then we just progressed it. So you kind of, find, the biggest thing is find the thing that works. And if you can't, ask someone else because there is something that does work. Yeah. And like how beautiful of an example to share with people, because like to see behind the scenes of what actually happens in physical therapy, to know that like you can help somebody with that severe problem through yeah. movement alone. I mean, the person has to come to appointments. They have to do, they have to participate, right? They have yeah. to sustain the things that you practice together, but that is so impactful. And he was, he was a great, patient you know he was yeah. super on top of everything we talked about so that it really does make a big difference when you kind of implement everything that we ask you to yeah totally <laughs> um but yeah do you want to share i guess like a, a like about muscle tightness oh yeah um so i think one of the biggest misconceptions that can be out there is is what is tightness Mm -hmm. So let's take a runner. That's a pretty standard example. So an IT band, right? Everyone gets like a tight IT band. Um, so IT band, kind of that lateral aspect of your leg from your hip down to your knee, right? So if you're running and this tightens up, people are like, oh, I just, I foam roll it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Great. That makes sense. Uh, it's going to release it. But my question is, well, why does it get tight? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are we missing? Because if you keep running and it gets tight and then you keep foam rolling and then it gets loose and then you keep running, gets tight and you keep foam rolling, gets loose. What are you, what are you really solving? Mm -hmm. It's just, I mean, people kind of do that. They're like, oh, well, this is just what I have to do. It's yeah. like, well, is it? They think is it's it? like their body is like, oh, my body is just this way. Yep. Yep. They absolutely do. Mm -hmm. And if you got to go beyond that, you really have to go beyond that. And again, if you don't have a PT that doesn't go beyond that, find a new one because yeah. that's, that's not great practice. You don't want to just be chasing symptoms. Mm -hmm. You always really want to be getting to the root of the cause. Mm -hmm. So th this is a little bit of a blanket statement. It's not true for everyone, but sometimes with runners, what actually is the issue is a weak glute med. So our glute med is also on the lateral aspect of our hip and glute med tends to get pretty atrophied and not, not even so much that it doesn't exist in a strength way, but we don't, tend to have that neural connection to it anymore. We lose that neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. um, so it takes a little bit of time to turn back on. It kind of went a little, it's like a muscle that went to, to sleep. It's dormant. Yeah. <laughs> so we can, we can wake it back up and that, that's great. But that's what people don't realize is, oh, well, if I just do this exercise, it'll wake back up. Mm -hmm. 
maybe but if you're not taught how to do that exercise you're not taught where you should feel you're not asking yourself what is the intention of this exercise and where should I feel it Mm. you're probably not getting that result in fact you may still be using your IT band because Mm -hmm. that glute mead has shut off Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. that that has a responsibility in the body so if it's not working something else has to absorb its job Right? So we have this force that the glute meat is supposed to absorb and supposed to uh, distribute and it's not doing it. So who is going to do it? And this is why I said it's a little bit of a blanket term because that may not be IT band for some people. That may be low back. That may yeah. be piriformis. That may be, so it, you know, it, 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 uh, it's different for different people and it can be different based off of your activity. Yeah. But people tend to just kind of like lengthen the glute meat. So let's say we did that, right? We have no, I'm sorry, lengthen the IT band. I misspoke there. But let's say we did that. So say we have no glute mean and we stretch out the IT band. Well, what support do we have for our body while we're running? Mm-hmm. We don't have anything now. Yeah. Because it's actually it works. It, right. It's, it's, got, it's, causing, it's giving stability where something else is weak, basically. Right. Well, it's, it's overworking, right? Yeah. It's doing its job plus the glutes means job. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is it's, it gets tight. It gets tired. It's like, look, I'm done. Like yeah. get someone else to do the job. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so if you don't, so that's why, you know, people say, oh, you know, stretch, 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 stretching is great, but strengthen first. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like, you know, in your day, I mean, in your phases of therapy, strengthen first. Because mm-hmm. if you really focus on that glute mead strength and the, and the uh, neuroplasticity and the connection with the brain and then translate that to running and you can really feel that glute mead activate while you're running, which is kind of hard, but super important, mm-hmm. then the IT band barely even have to stretch it because it's not tight. Right. And I feel like that's one of the things you and I talked about in terms of the chronic knee pain too, because it's like, yeah. I think that nurse practitioners get frustrated for, on patient, for patient's behalf because mm-hmm. they're in so much pain chronically for so long. And it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to tell that to a person with chronic knee pain, go to physical therapy, it's gonna help you without being really comfortable talking about why. So I think that's like one of the reasons I'm so grateful you're talking about all this. Cause I think that even if our job as nurse practitioners is not to identify glute medius, right? Like you, we can still understand how this whole thing works so that when we refer a patient, hey, you have chronic knee pain, physical therapy is actually really going to help you because mm-hmm. it's building up the muscles that are supporting the joint so that the joint isn't doing all the work in a similar way, right? If I'm saying that right, like similarly to the IT, yeah. band, the IT band is overworking, your knee physical joint is overworking. So when you do physical mm-hmm. therapy, maybe it's uncomfortable because you're, you're strengthening muscles, but eventually all of your muscles in your thigh and your hip and all of that are going to alleviate that pressure, which ultimately in the long run is going to be helpful. Like you said, yeah. like it's not like you have to go to physical therapy forever. You learn and you understand what you need to do. And then if you get new pains in a new place, you can see PT again, right? So from, from a PT's perspective, that would be amazing if that was explained that way to a patient. Because sometimes what happens is they, let's say, let's take knee OA, for example, right? So they have this chronic knee pain, and then they come in for an x-ray. That's kind of the standard protocol and in the orthopedic world. So they get their x-ray, and it has osteoarthritis, and they say, well, what is arthritis, right? And then the practitioner explains, well, it's degeneration of the joint. They hear the word degeneration. 
which is breaking down, mm -hmm. which is damage, which is irreversible. Mm -hmm. And all of those words kind of where we were talking about before, they create fear mm -hmm. and they create loss of hope because mm -hmm. they're like, well, what can I do about that? I, I have to get the surgery, mm -hmm. right? So what we, but we know that people who have arthritis, there are people that don't have pain, mm -hmm. right? So we know that if we x-rayed a bunch of asymptomatic people, there are many things that are still positive, quote unquote, in their x-ray. Right. So whether it's a degenerative disc disease or it's, you know, more like that degenerative osteoarthritis, that doesn't necessarily mean that person has pain. Yeah. So where the pain really comes in it's, it's physics. It's, it's the forces that are being put on the joint because the muscles around it are not supporting it. Yeah. So if, if pain was explained like that from day one, from the, from the first person that that patient had interaction with, it's like, look, pain just means that there's one area of your body absorbing more force than another. Mm -hmm. very simply put yeah. and and PT is that person who will teach you how to distribute those forces differently yeah yeah and I think like too like it's so holistic and it's so like for just as another example like I love giving examples for NPs but like I I've had neck pain and and what we've been doing together <laughs> you and me is rotator cuff it's like yeah right? We're yeah, doing my, yeah. my shoulder and my back because what's happening is that my trapezius, my like upper traps are doing all the work because mm -hmm. of my baby little back muscles <laughs> that aren't doing what they're supposed to, right? But yeah. for me, I'm like, oh, I just have neck pain. Maybe I'll just stretch where it's really tight. Like, no, yeah. actually you're going to build up the other muscles so that that muscle will relax by itself. And then my neck pain's better, right? So right. <laughs> speaking 100%. of energy. Speaking yeah, of and that, that goes along with that, like, that's your chronic tightness there, right? Yes. So what did you want to naturally do? You want to stretch it out? Now, is that bad? No, it's not. It feels good. It's great. But yeah. that's not the solution, right? That yes. solution was really providing more support so that the upper trap didn't have to do everything. Right. Work so hard. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, tired. Give it a break. I know. It's such a good helper. <laughs> <laughs> um, with imaging, though, one of the questions that we got was about, um, what imaging like so if somebody is going to refer so say somebody has a patient in front of them chronic knee pain do the, and it's the first time they're seeing a provider say like oh i was diagnosed a long time ago my first uh, my first thought is like you'll need to do physical therapy first and like by the way for people who are watching i hope this this is getting a bigger clearer picture for you because i have to sell people on physical therapy not <laughs> not for my benefit not for financial gain selling but for them to buy into why physical therapy is so important. So hopefully that, hopefully that is, is meeting here, but having that conversation with the patient, I feel very confident saying to them, physical therapy will be helpful for you. They're going to go, you're going to go in for a physical therapy evaluation and you're going to set up a plan going forward of weekly or twice a week for a set amount of time, weeks or months, and they can give you an estimate of how long it's going to be. And that is going to ultimately help you. Um, so that's, that's my spiel. If you have any addendums for that, <laughs> the other part of it is the question that people have is, do they need imaging first? Like, so is that like how you would, before a patient gets to you, what do you wish they kind of knew and did in the context of how to explain it? And then also in imaging. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, everyone's a little bit different, but if there are red flags, imaging is important, mm -hmm. right? So, Which is diagnosis dependent, right? Like, so saddle anesthesia is. or, yeah. Or, or how did they, why are they there? Were they, was there trauma, 
you know, was there right. a fall? Was it a car accident? Things like that. They need right. to be imaged, right? Because we don't want to be doing anything with a fracture. That's kind of number one. Right. Um, anything else outside of a fracture, it could be, uh, you're not really going to see in an x-ray anyways. Mm -hmm. right. right. So, so we don't even generally have any of that information. Mm -hmm. And knowing that we don't treat based off of diagnosis, we treat based off of impairment. And just to clarify, what is an impairment? It's the thing that the patient can't do. Mm -hmm. So did they lose range of motion? Did they lose joint mobility? Did they lose strength? Um, pain is just an impairment. Fear of movement is an impairment. That's, that's what we treat. Um, so really imaging isn't, isn't necessary. Now there are times where we want images because we're, we're stumped, right? We're mm -hmm. kind of just like, you know, maybe, maybe if we could like a glute med tear, I would say that's a very, very underdiagnosed, overlooked uh, diagnosis. You know, you hear hip bursitis a lot, you hear low back pain a lot, but we talked about, you know, how important that glute med is to support the back, support the hip, support the knee even. And a lot of times, especially in the folks who are a little bit older, it's porn. Mm. Oh, I think I had a family member like that, actually. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's one thing I would, I always want like an image for because mm -hmm. it's such a frustrating diagnosis because you go back and forth a lot. You're like, is this coming from the back? Is this coming from the hip? Because mm -hmm. without the glute meat, it's kind of coming from both, right? Because it really needs that support. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not something we expect a patient to have coming in. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't mind that they don't have that. It doesn't really affect anything. The only time mm -hmm. we really want imaging is if we're stumped. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is just to have, if we could have open communication mm -hmm. with the nurse practitioner or the doctor or the orthopedic, whoever, whoever was the referring provider for the patient, um, if we could just have open communication and send you guys an email, I mean, sometimes emails are really hard to find or really hard to obtain. Mm -hmm. And so if we could send you an email, A, giving you a patient update status, right? Mm -hmm. And, and B, maybe like opening that, that door for communication saying like, Hey, you know, this isn't what we're doing isn't working. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what's, maybe they do need an injection because pain is such a barrier. Mm -hmm. Maybe they really, you know, maybe they do need an image. These things aren't unnecessary, but sometimes they're overprescribed. Yeah. And I was going to say in my own personal practice, like I usually tell patients aside from those like red flags, like diagnosis dependent red flags and like trauma and acute injuries, just mm -hmm. to like clarify for new nurse practitioners, those are what we're talking about. But mm -hmm. also like if I've cleared those, I say it's always worth it to see a physical therapist because in my experience, they always tell me I can't work with this patient. They need an MRI or they should see orthopedics next. Like they mm -hmm. will let me know, or they'll be like, you know what? They're in too much pain to participate. Can you give them some pain medication or something like that? Like usually is that typically your experience as well? Like I love, I feel like I it can is. a physical therapist with that. I mean, I have, I've worked with better and, and not as stellar ones, but the ones that I really trust, sure. like I, I'm like, I set it up for the patient of what to expect. And then they let me know how it's going. Yeah, I mean, the, the better communication you can have with your physical therapist, the more, the, the more comfortable you're going to feel sending your patient to one, right? Yeah. If you have that relationship with a PT, it doesn't have to be just one, can be a whole network of them, you mm -hmm. know, to choose from. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you, you also get kind of a feel for people's styles of how they do things. And you might be able to say, oh, yeah, this patient, you know, 
I kind of recommend them to that person because mm-hmm. they're more, they kind of push you a little bit more. They're going to get you back to, you know, playing soccer and this patient, oh, they're really good when people are scared and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think the biggest thing is, you know, try to create that relationship with the PT because I'll tell you right now, like we want it. Yeah. You know, I so, so appreciate you saying that. <laughs> I feel like I say all the time, cold calling for specialists of any kind, for nurse practitioners to develop relationships with the people that they refer to because they want it. And I appreciate yeah. you saying that because it's like, you're trying to do your job. And like, we sometimes they feel like they're bothering and it's like, no, they're at, you're actually helping make sure that the appropriate patients are going to the right place. Right. Yeah. Like we don't want to send you things that you don't have the ability to see or because they are not appropriate. Right. Yeah. So there are definitely things that like are outside of people's skill sets. You know, not yeah. every patient sees pelvic floor, not, not mm-hmm. sorry, not patient, every, not every physical therapist sees yeah. patients that have pelvic floor dysfunction or TMJ or a hand issue. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, you know, knowing what their specialties are and, and if you don't ask, like yeah. we would love to talk to you. Yeah, they're not scary. They're <laughs> no, not scary. They <laughs> get so scared. Um, I'm looking at the questions that um, were submitted. So are there any red flags that you see that get missed by a provider that referred them? Or is it not not too bad? So I worked, um, trying to think which, probably like when I worked in like Somerville and Cambridge and things like that. And I, I can't tell you why this location was like this more so than others. I'm not really sure. Um, but there's a high percentage of patients that are hypermobile. And that is a diagnosis. I feel like that's really underdiagnosed unless someone's coming from children's hospital, you know, where they're kind of getting it as a kid and they, and there's times where I've diagnosed people with EDS and I'm like, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Yeah. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Exactly. And I'm like, you know, you really got to talk to your doctor about this, or, you know, there's a specialist in Boston that I'll send them to, or it's, it's a, it's, I see, I, I don't have a percentage per se, but I would honestly probably guess maybe more than 50% of my patients have this. Wow. And, and so like, what is hypermobility, right? So the way we uh, diagnose it, or kind of can say that someone has it or not, is just based off of the Biton scale. Um, and if you're not familiar yeah. with that, it it's it's just nine tests. So mm-hmm. the first thing is is your hands. So can you reach like your your thumb down to your wrist? No, no, I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll see, like some, you know, this is like an the old word would have been like double jointed, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'll see people like they can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do some of them. So like the pinky is next. So if you can bend your pinky back beyond ninety degrees. So you're you're at like 88 degrees over there. Oh. <laughs> you're just just about there, but you can see how that's obviously more than oh, wow. 90, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, or this one doesn't go as far, but still more than 90. Mm-hmm. So that's so it's one, two, three, four. Okay, so each side of the body counts as a different number. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing is elbow hyperextension. I don't really have that, but you're looking for more than 10 degrees of, of hyperextension. And you really want to measure that passively because sometimes actively they'll just kind of stop here. And so you really want to get that full hyperextension. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's five, six, and then the knees. So you're looking at either standing or supine hyperextension of the knees, same yeah. thing, that 10 degrees. Um, and then if they can or could as a child, like palm the ground, 
uh, with their knees straight, so like bending forward, reaching their palms on the ground, not their fingertips, but it has to be like a flat palm and their knees have to stay straight. Mm. So if you have more than four of those be positive tests, mm. it's considered classified as hypermobile. Mm. And that can really change diagnosis. So, you know, people who are hypermobile, there's been strong links with anxiety even, right? So these people are going to have possibly a more, a higher fear of movement. Mm -hmm. um, there's been strong links with lack of proprioception. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that's like another uh, criteria that fits into this is, do you trip a lot? Are you clumsy? Do you drop things? Mm -hmm. And so from your standpoint, you may think of those questions as like a neurological concern, right? Like they're, <laughs> they're developing yeah. some sort of neurological disease and you're like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. But what if they've just been like that their whole life? Like the person and I'm kind of like, <laughs> like, like, you know, I clip my shoulder like on doorways a lot. <laughs> Like, oh, like, and the thing is that you don't know where you are in space. Oh, that's so interesting. I feel yeah. like I sort of need criteria for this. <laughs> really. I think you do, actually. I think we tested that. Yeah. <laughs> I think my neck is a little hypermobile. I'm definitely clumsy. Definitely clumsy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so interesting. So you probably are just treating them a little differently, just being more mindful of their therapy. For them it's, yeah, 100%. For them, it's posture. Mm -hmm. It's posture because so let's say they stand with that genuine bottom in their knees, that hyperextension, right? Okay. What's going to happen to their low back? Mm -hmm. It's going to increase the lumbar lordosis, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So I've had people come in, you know, 10 plus years of back pain. Watch them stand. They hyperextend their knees. They have that increased lordosis. I say soften your knees. I tape them in a softened knee position so they, they can't move. Um, and they come in there like their back pain's gone. Wow. So cool. Right? So it's, it's such an easy fix. And I just yeah. feel like, like that, that's got to be in people's radars a little bit more yeah. to have that like hypermobility scan because yeah. it does lead to a lot of different things. And I mean, if someone has like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or they could have POT syndrome or even like Marfan's, mm -hmm. um, you know, they have cardiac issues. Right. There, there's other systemic things that could be going on as well that need to get ruled in and out. So. Totally. Totally. That's so, that's so interesting. One of the questions was about being able to read physical therapy notes. And for me, I glaze over and I'm just like, it's going well. I signed it and it's in the chart. <laughs> like, I don't really know how to read physical therapy notes. I don't know why. Like, I can't yeah. even think of the examples. I just remember reading it and it looks very different from the way that we write our notes. And so I just okay. was like, therapy's going well, I think. <laughs> just like maybe bad. I <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, we know what happens. Um, you know, generally we only sign notes for Medicare, we send notes out to be signed for Medicare patients anyways, mm -hmm. uh, just because that's an insurance requirement. Um, but there is, there's a Massachusetts requirement that every 30 days, a physical therapist has to do a progress note. And most EMRs will just send that to the referring provider, like in a fax or an email or whatever. So that's, that's why you get our notes a lot of the time. Oh, I was wondering, just, I was like, I wrote a prescription. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> like, why are you talking to me? Go away. <laughs> no, I like hearing it, but I just was like, I didn't understand the signature part. I thought I was being an inconvenience that I wasn't sending yeah. stuff in the first place, but I could have just asked. No, yeah. So it's it's so with Medicare. It has to be signed the initial evaluation, every progress note, which is every thirty days, mm. and the discharge note has to be signed, or the insurance company doesn't reimburse us. Mm -hmm. um, e which 
that's a whole different soapbox. But <laughs> there's no other insurance company that does require that. But Massachusetts mm. law does require that we send the progress note. Now, that progress note does not have to be signed if it's not Medicare, but we we do have to send it to you. I see, I see. Um, I like hearing. I like hearing it. I just don't know how to interpret it. Yeah. So, so basically it's, it's subjective is the first part, right? So it's like, what, how does the patient feel things are going? So that's, that's good or bad, you know, mm -hmm. um, the objective stuff I think would be the hardest because it's mm -hmm. all just numbers yeah. and you're like, what, what, are, you don't know what the normal, the normative value is. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, they have, you know, 55 degrees of flexion. It's like, well, what are they supposed to have? You know, that doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> so totally. I can, I can definitely understand that. I think if you read any part of it, read the assessment because that's, that should be written in like plain English. That's yeah. just kind of like, you know, patient presents with this. They could do this. They now can do this. They're still working on this. Yeah. They would still benefit from PT is generally yeah. like the formula for that aspect. Yeah. And I usually, I feel like too, when I've seen them and I do appreciate seeing them, like the part that I understand. Um, but it's usually like, what are the goals? And it's like to be pain free by the, like, there's usually some sort of like metric goal of like, they want to be yeah. like without pain during certain activities, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I usually just say like, do you need more physical therapy? I'll write more. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do your thing. You do you. Um, I think one of the other questions that really came up a lot was about, um, I think the main challenge that I see in primary care, aside from like kind of like convincing patients, and again, I say that in quotes because I'm not, I'm not coming from a nefarious place. I'm coming from like a connecting them to understanding what exactly the benefit is, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not a, like I have no agenda aside from to help them, right? But sometimes you have to get people's buy-in and you have to explain oh, things. Oh, 100%. Like what are their objections? And usually the main mm -hmm. objections are, is this going to, main three, is this going to help me? How does this help me? Right? And so that's what mm -hmm. the purpose of our talking is so that we can fully understand, I mean, we can't fully understand it in like a half an hour, but you can better understand what the process is and how it yeah. and actually believe with gusto that is going to help right and then number two and and three are about cost and about time and it's either cost yeah. because they don't have insurance or their insurance in massachusetts there's a plan that only covers six visits per year for any condition um i don't know if that's been updated but there's some other ones that will cover like for me personally i had a back injury being covered for um i think 60 days only mm -hmm. um and mm -hmm. then the other part of it is co-pays right so like is their co-pay too high those are the main like objections and yeah. so when it comes to like selling a patient on it it's kind of like addressing those things but what's yeah. do you have any thoughts about that because i know that we were both frustrated with the state of uh insurance access and physical therapy access so what are your thoughts about that yeah it's hard um i i disagree with how insurances deal with that because I mean, every insurance is different, of course. Um, I know there, it, it has since changed, but there was an insurance that said 30 days, actually. It's like you get 30 days to fix the condition mm -hmm. and it's per condition, per lifetime. Mm -hmm. Oh God, really? <laughs> so if you had an ICD-10 code of MEOA, right? Mm -hmm. You got 30 days in your entire life to fix it. <laughs> Wow. It's wild. It's wild. So then they changed it to 60 days. Um, and I think they've since changed it to 60 visits in a year, which is, which is much better. A lot of 60 visits is a lot. Yeah. Um, generally you should be seen for under 20, you know, it, sh it should be, if it's really straightforward, like an ankle sprain or things like that, you know, 12 visits or so is, is like okay. two, to three, two to three months is really enough. Mm -hmm. Um, or if someone has, especially anything with like a healing from a fracture, those are pretty straightforward. 
Um, post-op is generally going to be about four months. Uh, unless it's ACL, it's going to be about six months. Oh my gosh. I love hearing this because like from my perspective, like that is so disparate from insurance. And also yeah. it's nice to hear that. Like, I think it's also important for us to know as nurse practitioners, how to set patients up for success. Yeah. And stuff aside, but like, even in that communication piece, like this is going, like when you and I first met with my back, you were like, Ooh, 60 days is not that long. And I, in my perspective, I was like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take a long time, but that's nice to know. I, I yeah. knew about an ACL tear, but like, I didn't know about post-op is four months and that's helpful to know. Yeah. Usually like that 16 week, and this is again, kind of categorizing, but if you look at pretty much any post-op rehabilitation protocol around that four month mark, they're starting to do like sport activity. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of not some insurances don't even cover it if you're only working on sport activity. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that can be a little bit tricky to mm -hmm. you kind of have to be creative with how you write things. So, so just a conversation that you want to have with your patient too. like sometimes I'll see people have like a $75 copay and I'll be like, you know, can you be here twice a week or do you want to just do once a week or do you want to do once every other week? Um, it's our job to work with you to figure it out. Yeah. So if you only get six visits, but it, it's your job to know your benefit though, right? Yeah. So, so know your benefit, come in and kind of discuss the concerns that you have. Most PTs are going to try to see you twice a week, right? Because it takes that repetition to really build it. There's, I think there's a study out there. It says it's a little vague. It says between like 300 and 600 repetitions. Um, are really needed to not not learn a new skill, but just actually build that neuroplasticity of a muscle firing, right? So that's that's a lot. And then if you're doing, if it's in the beginning and you're not really getting that feedback often enough to know that you're firing it correctly, mm -hmm. and then you're firing it incorrectly, and then you're kind of wasting your time. And so that's why we try to say twice a week, at least in the beginning. Um, and then maybe once a week after you feel more comfortable and you're working on more of the strengthening aspect, yeah. but it could be, we can, we're very flexible in that. And if, if they're not, then you have to think about, you know, do they want your fee or do they want to help you? So you got to be careful with that. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the Ultimate Resource Guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.